My name is David. I'm the pastor here. I'm glad y'all are here. Um, a couple of times this week, I, we, uh, me and my wife saw some folks that we haven't seen in a while, and I'm kind of uh, emotionally retarded in a couple of ways, when it, particularly when it comes to interpersonal interaction. I think we've established firmly that I'm not a hugger at all, and so... When I would see these people that I hadn't seen in a while, I didn't really know how to respond. Most, y'all don't even think about this. Y'all are good, and it's just natural. It's agony for me. I'm thinking, I, was, I grew up like this with my hands in my back pockets, and if you wanted a hug, well, go ahead. But I'm not. This is me. You can slip your arm through there or whatever you want to do, but my hands are staying in my pockets. And then I've kind of graduated a little bit. I can kind of do the side <laughs> hug, partial, which may be, you know, that's progress. But then there are people who are full out frontal huggers. And I think it's one thing for women, it's an, or maybe it's just me, because I have, I'm, I'm emotionally immature. It's difficult. I, that's hard for me. And then sometimes we get into this, stand up left, we get into this thing, you know, I want to shake hands and you get the pull in, that's bad, <laughs> see, that's bad all the way around for me, we have skin to skin contact here and then we're coming around like this, and you know, there's some people stand up, um, like if you're hugging me and I'm doing this, whoops, I'm doing this, it doesn't mean pat my back, it means let me out, like I'm tapping out, say but some people don't get that signal. They're like, oh, it's okay. I'm get, glad to see you too. I'm sure I'm, I am glad to see you once I get over the... But then I was thinking about a handshake, and I don't even know what that's about. Like, if you think of... It's just because we happen to have hands is why we do handshakes. There's no... What does that signify to somebody? And I was... And it's even more awkward with women. No, if it, that might be sexist. Because I have weird hugging things with girls, I never know what to do. We, there was a girl last night, I was somewhere, and I just stayed in my seat. I didn't stand up because I didn't know how I was supposed to respond. I had not seen her in a long time. We weren't super close. Do I give her a hug? If I shake, you know, some girls shake your hand and they give you a firm handshake. Some kind of do their hand like this. And Am I supposed to kiss it? What am I? <laughs> we start in the way. I don't know what to do. Y'all don't even think about these things because you're fine. I say all that to say, if you're new here or if this is your first call, I don't want you to feel like that. I don't want you to have that, what's gonna, what are they going to do and raise my hands or what, you know, none of that. I want you to feel welcome. I'm in more agony than you are. I want you all to feel welcome here. I want you to know that this is a, as, as much as we can make it, this is a safe place for you to be who you are. Our deepest desire is for you to connect with the Lord. If the only thing that happens is you come and we sing some songs and you hear me talk for a little bit, it's probably a waste of your morning. But our deepest desire is for everyone who comes to connect with God. We don't believe there are accidents here. If you're here for whatever reason, we think it's because the Lord drew you to this place and there are things that he wants to do in your life today. And all we're trying to do is set the stage for God to do that. That's it. So if at any point you feel uncomfortable, me too. It's going to end soon. Just do your best during that time to connect with the Lord. When you, we're, not going to, we're not going to purposely do anything that would embarrass anyone or humiliate anyone or make anyone 
put you on the spot. We're just trying our best to set a stage for everyone here to connect with the Lord because we do think he's got stuff. If you're here, you might as well get something out of it. You woke up early. You put on some nice clothes, some of you. Some of you don't even look like you took a shower. That's okay. We don't mind. Everything's open here. So if you're here, you might as well get something out of it. And the Lord's the only one that can do that. We're not that good. So um, that's that. A couple of other, let me, I want to piggyback on that one announcement Brandon made about the ministry greenhouse. That might be one of those things that sounds kind of funky. Come here. We're going to feed you. We're going to take care of your kids. And then we're going to spend some time together, maybe an hour, hour and 15 minutes. We'll be done by 8 or 8.15. We'll start eating at 6. 8 or 8.15 will be done. And the purpose of the ministry greenhouses in general, um, our vision is community transformation, and that doesn't mean anything. It's just this big nebulous phrase. And these ministry greenhouses are times where we intentionally try to figure out what does that mean for me? How do I participate in that? So I would say if you're at all interested in the vision of this church, if you're at all interested in seeing this community change to be more like what the Lord wants, I'd encourage you to come and uh, see what it's about on Tuesday. And if you could sign up out front, that'd be great. I want to make sure we have enough food for everyone. This is Acts 12, starting in verse 1. It'll be on the screen in the back if you don't have a Bible. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this pleased the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Do I know without a doubt that the Lord sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were anticipating? I think there are a couple of different things we can pull from this story. I'm going to kind of go through kind of around the backside of it, I think. Um, Jesus had several circles of relationships in his ministry. He kind of had the crowds. That was this mixed mass of people. Some loved him, some hated him, some were just curious. Then he had at least 70 people who he trusted enough to send them out on missionary journeys ahead of him. If you go back, I think it's in Luke maybe 10, he sends out 70 of his disciples and says, y'all go ahead of me and prepare the way for me to go into these towns. So he had at least 70 people who he trusted with his ministry. Then he had the 12 disciples or 12 apostles. You know those guys. Those were the 12 that he handpicked excuse me, and said, I'm going to spend three years with you guys and give a lot to you, and I'm going to leave my legacy, really, and my ministry to you guys when I go to heaven. So that was the 12. And then within the 12, there's also three, Peter, James, and John. James and John were brothers, and Peter was also a fisherman. And if you read the gospel several times, Jesus pulls away with just these three guys. So he kind of had the crowds mixed, 70 at least, who he trusted enough to send them out in ministry, 12 who he lived life with, and then three who were his innermost circle, kind of his inner core of 
relationships. After Pentecost, um, that's in Acts 2, Peter quickly becomes the most prominent leader of the Christian church. In the first half of Acts, all centers around Peter. The second half is Paul. The first half is Peter and what Peter, his accomplishments and what he says and all this stuff. And Acts 12 is no exception. It's all about Peter. And that's a miraculous story. I don't even know if you picked up on that. He's in jail. There's the four sets of four guards. That means, you know, they rotated every few hours. So he had four guys watching him the day before his trial, and he was going to be killed. There's no question. There's no due process back in these times. There's no humanitarian organizations that are saying, look at the injustice that Herod is doing. There's no media to get sympathy for Peter. If the king wants you dead, you're dead. I mean, that's it. So Peter was done. The night before his trial, I mean, an angel shows up in his cell and wakes him up and chains fall off his wrist. Who knows how he walks past all the guards if they're asleep or what happens. Gates are opening. That's just ridiculous. The It's just crazy. So, of course, that's the focus of chapter 12, and it can make us miss verse 2. Verse 2 says this, He, Herod, had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. And I've wondered what John thought about that. Peter, James, and John, those were the closest three to Jesus. And James and John were brothers. And Peter gets rescued. His brother gets beheaded. They're in the exact same situation. It's obvious God can deliver someone from prison because he just did it. It's obvious that God can help you escape from Herod and what he has planned for you because he just did it. So I wonder if John ever said, why Peter and why not James? How come he didn't let James? Why didn't he rescue James? He was in the inner circle also. And I wonder how John dealt with that. And it made me wonder about us and if you've ever been there, where you look around at what God's doing in someone else's life, and if you've ever said, why not me? Or if you look at what's going on in your own life and you say, why me? If you've ever been there, I don't think many of us live in kind of that world of self-pity, but I think we all visit on occasion. You know, there's some folks who just seem to kind of have it easy, depending on your perspective. Some people meet their spouse when they're 20 and they get married and on and on, and other folks who want to be married wrestle with their singleness for years. There are some couples who seem to accidentally pop kids out like blowing bubbles, and others struggle with infertility and lost pregnancies for years. There's some folks who always seem healthy and well, and there are other people who feel like their family is constantly battling with illness and sickness. There's some folks seems like they're, everything they touch turns to gold, and other people, it doesn't matter how hard you work, you can barely keep your head above water financially. Some people just seem to be kind of living the dream. It's, they had this thing that was in their heart to do, and they're going for it, and there are other folks who feel trapped in dead-end jobs, don't have any sense of purpose or direction for their life. And, and you, it can be easy to say, why not me? Or why me? How long do I have to stay here? Why does Peter get set free and James gets his head cut off? And a lot of times we feel like James. And we wonder, why me? How come this is happening to me and why not me? How come that is not? I don't know, again, if you've ever found yourself there or not. I'm not talking about wanting more stuff. It's sitting about nicer cars, nicer houses. This is life. This is marriage and family and health and security and purpose and direction and love 
in relationships. This isn't about I want what somebody else has. I want a nicer. That, that's not what we're talking about. I'm talking about the stuff of life, the things that we say God promises these things to his kids. And why wouldn't the good father do this for his children? I'm talking about the things that get down deep in your heart and that cause things, places in your heart to grow cold over time when you wonder why me and why not me. And in those times, it really doesn't matter what you know. What you know actually can just make things worse. It matters what you believe, and you can know a lot of things that haven't penetrated into the core of your heart. You live out of your heart, which is the center of your being, the core of who you are. And we can know a lot of stuff that never gets there. I'm not talking about your touchy-feely heart. I'm talking about the more like your gut, the center of who you are. It's what you live out of. And you can know in your head that God will never leave you and forsake you, and you can know that God loves you, and you can know that God's timing is perfect, and you can know that if we delight in the Lord, he'll give us the desires of our heart. And you can know that if we seek first the kingdom of God, all the stuff we need for life will be given to us. You can know all of that. But if it hadn't penetrated into the core of who you are, it's not going to help you. It's actually just going to make you feel worse. Because you're wondering why me all the time you're feeling guilty because you know all this stuff. But none of that stuff is helping. Because you're wondering how come you are where you are instead of where they are. Or where you think God has promised to take you. And I wonder if John felt that way. Why James, or why Peter, and why not James? I was thinking about that, and I honestly don't think John struggled with that at all. Um, he wrote, or at least inspired, the Gospel of John, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and Revelation. That's a lot of stuff. You can go back and read it. After James was killed. So he didn't have any permanent issues with God. It didn't cause him to lose his faith. It didn't cause him to get bitter towards Jesus or anything. Read the, what he wrote. It's all, I mean, love is his major thing. He wasn't permanently damaged by this thing. And I was wondering why. This is from John 21. It'll be on the screen behind you. This is Jesus talking to Peter after Jesus has been resurrected. When they had finished eating, that's Jesus with some of the disciples, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than, more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. All right, focus in on this. Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you're an old man, you'll stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? And Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Two things. One, John is the disciple whom Jesus loved, which might sound a little cocky, but that's how he describes himself in his own book, but that's who he was. John was the disciple that Jesus loved. He knew, he didn't just love God, he knew that God loved him. And that goes a really, really long way when you're wondering about the whys and the why nots of life. If you can know, not just here again, but if you can know here in the core of who you are, if you can believe that God loves you, it'll carry you through a lot of the whys and why nots of life. And we've talked before, biblically belief is not up here, 
It's, it's what are you putting your trust, what are you putting your hope, what are you putting your faith in? It's being, I believe this chair can support my weight. No, if I stand on the chair, that's biblical belief. We've talked about that before. If you can believe that God loves you, and if you don't, that's not necessarily your deal. The Lord will show you that. That's not something you need to work up. You just need to ask the Lord, God, I'm, I struggle with this. I, don't, I know you love me in my head. It's not really a core part of who I am. I don't live out of the fact that you love me. And if there's a reason, you can say, and this is the reason why, because of whatever, 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 help. And he will. That's a, um, we've talked before about revelation. That's information that comes from God. It's not stuff that we can figure out on our own. And when it comes to how God feels about you, that's a revelation. You need a revelation of God's love. You need him to show you how he feels about you. And again, it's not squishy, romantic, touchy-feely. It's solid and it's real and it's something you can base your life on, love. First thing. Second thing, John understood something that we all need to get. John was either following Peter and Jesus, which is, again, a little funky that he would be following them during this private conversation, but he was, and he either overheard the exchange or Peter told him about it later. So John knew all that. It's written here. He wrote it. He knew this back and forth between Peter and Jesus, and he, he recognized Jesus' response. When Jesus said, why me? Peter says, why me? Why am I the one that has to be crucified? What about him? Then he points at John. Why not him? And you know what Jesus says? What's it to you? You must follow me. And Jesus says the same thing to John, and he said the same thing to James, and he says the same thing to me, and he says the same thing to you. What's it to you if they're rich? What's it to you if they're healthy? What's it to you if they've got a van load of kids? What's it to you if they're married at 22 and you're not until later? What's it to you if... They've got a great job and yours isn't that great. What's that to you? You must follow me. They're two different issues. Don't get distracted by what God is doing in someone else's life. You don't need to give up on your hopes and your dreams. I'm not saying that at all. If there are things God's put in your heart, you need to hold on to those until God either fulfills them or he tells you to kill it. Either way, you don't need to just let those things go, but you also can't let them distract you from the primary essence of Christianity, which is following Jesus. Nothing's worth that. Nothing's worth getting distracted from following him. And that's what happens when we start looking around saying, why me? And why not me? The whys and the why nots just cause us to look around, and then we're not following anymore. And that's what Jesus says to Peter. Peter, you don't need to worry about that stuff. What's it to you? It's not in a harsh way like he's getting something better than you. It's just, what, what does that matter to you? My invitation to you is follow me. And the same thing is true for all of us. What does it matter to you? What does it matter to me how God's working in your life? Again, not in some callous, uncaring way, but in a that has nothing to do with you following me kind of way. Jesus wants to know two things. Peter, do you love me? Peter, will you follow me? Same things he wants to know about us. Do you love me? Will you follow me? That's it. Don't get distracted by the whys and why nots of life. It's not going to help you at all. Again, you don't need to let go of the things God's put in your heart. There are promises in the Bible that are for every believer, and you need to hold on to those. And there are things that, dreams that God's put in your heart, and you need to hold on to those. For sure. 
one of the things from this passage we don't have time to talk about it is the power of prayer. You can see that. In Acts 12.5 it says, Herod has Peter in jail, but the church is earnestly praying to God for Peter. And kind of the sense of that earnestly praying to God for Peter is the church was stretching as far as the church could stretch in prayer for Peter. They were working in prayer to see Peter released. And God answered them. And you might be at a place where you say, I can't believe for these things anymore. Well, we can. Let us do it if you can't. Find some other people who will believe for you until you can believe for yourself. That's kind of a side issue. Don't, I'm, what I'm saying is you don't need to let go of those dreams that you have, but you can't get distracted by the whys and the why nots. We were in St. Simon's this week um, visiting some friends of ours, um, and the, the mom has two kids, a four-year-old and a six-year-old boy, and she was saying one of them in particular kind of wears her out with all of the whys. She says, we are going to the park or we're not going to the park, why, why not, all of that stuff. If you have, you know how that is. So he's wearing her out, and she read this book, this Christian parenting book, and it kind of gave a strategy on that. And it said you need to sit down with a sheet of paper and you need to write out every reason why not. Because I said so, because it's inappropriate, because we don't have enough money, because I'm too tired, because we don't have time. You just need to write them all down and cut them up into strips of paper. You need to put them in a bowl. And next time your kid comes up to you and says why, you hand them the bowl and say pick one. <laughs> and that's why. You can take that too far. But does it really help you to know why? All you need to know is that. That's all you need. To, all you need to know is the decision. Why maybe helps you a little bit, but not really. Again, you can take that too far, but I think that's what Jesus is saying. Pick one. Why me? Why not me? Pick one. Because we live in a fallen world. Because sinful people make choices that affect us. Because the kingdom is here, but not fully here, and we won't experience all the benefits till after Jesus comes back. Because we have an enemy who's subverting the plans of God. Because we make mistakes. Because God is, who, pick one, pick one, why you, why not you, but he's still going to come back to, you must follow me, and you got to decide if you're going to do that, regardless of the whys and the why nots, do you love him, will you follow him, that's what he wants to know, let's pray.